0: Alright. Well, we're here to get into our, our series called From This Day Forward, like I mentioned. And, uh, and it's just fun when we talk about marriage, when we talk about, uh, what it means to be married, and even just this little game that we played, you see just some of the, some of the mundaneness of everyday life, right? Of just, where do you go to eat together? And remembering some of your stories and, and how do we get along? How do we interact? And, and the fun that we can have as couples. And so I really look forward to spending five weeks, and whenever we do a series like this, we can dial down into a topic for about five weeks straight and, and really elevate the temperature in and around marriage so that you begin and all of us here begin to think more about our relationships and we think about um, this marriage relationship in our homes for those of us that are married. Now, for those of you who aren't married, this is the perfect time to be in church. I think sometimes we think in terms of this is a time to check out or maybe this is just for married couples. The best time to prepare for marriage is when you're not married, right? Anyone? I need a better amen for that. The best time to prepare for marriage is when you're not married. And so a lot of these things right now are foundations that can be built and things that really begin to stretch you towards what might be uh, down the line in your life should you choose to, to marry or marry again or whatever stage of life you might be in. Now, um, when we spend these weeks here, I really believe there's an opportunity to take our marriages from where they're at and bring them to a much better place to be uh, on the tail end of the series, to really feel like there's some strengthening that has gone on in our marriages if we build on some key foundations. Now, we start off in, in marriage with high expectations. I think everybody starts marriage wanting and expecting a lot. And so I think, you, especially maybe women, um, maybe if we generalize, would say they picture their Wedding, right? Women, how many of you had your wedding kind of planned before you were ever even like planning your actual wedding, right? You had ideas, colors, some things that you maybe had in mind, but also maybe imagining what would be, what life would be like, what the, what your husband will be like, what it would be like to be in the home, and, and maybe to have some kids around, and you imagine some of these things of what married life is going to be like, and maybe how fulfilling that would be, and and men have dreams too, and. And they dream about how many times they're going to have, oh, we still have kids in here. Guys, you got to put your kids away. I can't I can't talk freely here. This is why we have fourth, fifth, and sixth grade splash zone every week. And we're, they're not going to be in at all during this series. And then the younger kids do have things. So, well, you know, the men dream about something more often, you know, than, than not. And many of them are still dreaming. And so uh, we all have different expectations about what comes to marriage. But what happens many times is we let down. We get married and we get into this and, and, and after a couple of years or even a couple of months or whatever, we start feeling, is this, is this what it is? Is, the, can, is? is there more to it? And there's a heaviness or maybe there's a sadness or things are just not going the way they are. Maybe there's tension and there's struggle and, and, or maybe just the, the love has grown cold and it's just become kind of sterile. Maybe it's just more of a, a roommate relationship and you're a business partner and you guys just happen to run a household and manage a family. But boy, as soon as the kids are gone, who knows what's going to be left of the relationship. And so you have to ask the question is a healthy, happy marriage possible? Is a healthy, happy marriage possible? Absolutely. It is absolutely possible. And, and I think the, we shouldn't make the assumption that everyone's miserable in marriage. I don't make that assumption. It's not true in my home. Shannon and I have a wonderful marriage, and I can't wait to also just bring in some of the pieces of our marriage. Doesn't mean everything's perfect, that everything just goes easy. But it's also taken a lot of work. But a healthy, happy, fulfilling marriage is absolutely Possible. But then you hear statistics and you go, well, it's possible, but you know what? It's not very likely. That's the bad news. It's possible, but it's not very likely. What's the statistic that everybody hears and, and knows about marriage? How many marriages split apart? Yeah. You hear usually the number gets thrown out about fifty percent, and I'm sure that ranges one way or the other. But but fifty percent odds. Fifty percent odds that you're gonna make it in a marriage relationship when you stood at an altar to say, you know, forever. And only 50% say, okay, well, it was only forever until X, Y, and Z happened. Then that was the end of it. Why is that happen? Those odds are horrible. We wouldn't, ex- we, wouldn't, um, we wouldn't accept those odds in any other area of our lives. If I told you that we have a snack afterward at 10 with 1, and you've got 50% chance of getting cancer if you eat it, how many of you would be at that table? <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> So, you know, if I said, right, you know, you drive, if you buy this new model of Honda, right, you buy this new, this new Honda Accord and, and, well, the 50% chance the engine's gonna explode on it. The records are there. Are you gonna go and buy that car? Don't raise your hand if you are. I don't know. You're, you're real Honda loyalists if you are. But, see, we don't accept those odds in other parts of our lives. And yet when it comes to marriage, we enter into this covenant, into this relationship and saying, well, those are acceptable odds. And what do we do? And how few of us have really prepared for that when we did get married? And that's why I was saying the best time to prepare for marriage is beforehand. You need, and, and, and there are more requirements from the state for you to get your driver's permit than it is to get a marriage license, right? I mean, you have to take a class, you have to get, you know, pass the test to get a driver's permit. But if you've got 15 bucks, you can go get your marriage license. I mean, think about that. And this is the lifelong commitment that we are investing in. And so the question becomes, you know, can we have a fulfilling marriage? And can we beat those odds? And I'm going to share a statistic with you later that's going to blow your mind about one key thing that you can do in your marriage that can turn these odds dramatically in the opposite direction that's borne out by statistics. Put them in your favor. And we're going to talk about that one thing in just a little bit. But one day, if you think back to your own marriage and your wedding day, you stood before uh, you know a pastor or somebody who, who married you. Maybe it was the captain of a ship. Anyone got married on a ship? I always hear that, but I don't ever know anybody that did that. All right, anyway, you stood before someone. You said something along these lines. You might have said, I, Mark, take you, Shannon, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better and for worse, in sickness and in health, right, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. And you made these vows, and and one of those vows and one of those lines in there that sometimes gets skipped over, but it says, from this day forward, right? From this day forward, meaning whatever was before, but from this day forward, I am making this commitment to you. And I think the the challenge that I want to put before every married couple here this morning, you have another chance today to say, from this day forward. To draw a line in the sand and say, from this day forward. But, but, But you don't understand my situation. You don't understand what my husband did. You don't understand what my wife did. You don't understand how difficult it's been. True. But you have an opportunity to say, from this day forward, it's going to look different. From this day forward, we can make some commitments that can bring hope and that can bring change and that can fail-proof your marriage. Now, that sounds like I may be over overbilling the series, fail-proof a marriage. If you build your life on these five commitments, you have odds that are unbelievable for a kind of marriage that's going to succeed and going to thrive. And I want to talk about these five commitments just up front, I want you to memorize these, and these are the things we're going to look at over the next several weeks. We're going to start with the first one today, but but here are the five, and here's the first one. Seek God. Seek God. We're going to jump into that one today. This is the cornerstone. This is a key foundation from which we're going to build. The second one, you see those little boxing gloves there? Fight fair. Not just fight. Fight fair. How do we fight? How do we engage? How do we deal with our indifferences? And that's going to be such a key message for you to come back and to hear next week. The next one, the smiley face there. Have fun. Some of you, it's been way too long since you've just had fun in your marriage and just enjoyed that relationship and really fulfilling part of life in that way. And we're going to talk about how that happens. The next one is a little heart inside a teardrop there. Stay pure. Stay pure. Another key foundation. And the last one that we're going to talk about is never give up. Never give up. And I'm already excited about that one because we're going to have somebody sharing with you. Tim Gunther is going to be preaching that last week. And and actually, I should have probably had Edith teach that one, Tim. Um, They've been married... (laughs) <laughs> maybe coach each that one. They've been married a long time. Tim has helped hundreds of, of couples in premarital, pre-marital counseling and, and counseling. And, and just for him to share that, that capstone message at the end of the series, never give up is going to be great. So I encourage you as couples just to spend every week here, invest in your marriage so that we can really lay these foundations. So let's say them together with me and go through them one more time. The first week is seek God. Second week, fight fair. Third week, have fun. Fourth week, Stay pure. Fifth week, never give up. All right. That's what we're going to dive into over these next several weeks. So let's start this week with seeking God. What makes a foundation and a marriage that is based on a Christian foundation different than any other marriage? It's this first piece. It's a relationship that seeks God together. Now, when you get married, we often talk in terms about finding the right one. Right? I want to meet the right one, and when I find that right one, My life is going to change and and we are just, we we perfectly complement each other and, and, and it's going to fulfill my life. I'm just looking for that one. The problem is your spouse shouldn't be your one. What? Your spouse shouldn't be your one. What we fail to do is to seek God first. God should be our one and our spouse should be our two. You see, without God in the equation, without God in the relationship, your spouse elevates to the one, and now you're putting and projecting all kinds of things onto your partner and onto your spouse that that are never intended to be carried the weight of that position of being the one. Your spouse is to be the two. Now, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, well, love your spouse with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means with everything you have, you pour into that love and into that relationship with your Heavenly Father, with your Creator. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself is equally as important. Who is your first neighbor when you're married? The one that you wake up to in bed every morning, hopefully, unless you're on the couch that night, right? I mean, this is, this is your neighbor. This is the person you're spending life with. Love them as yourself, right? But the first commandment Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is to be in that number one spot. He is supposed to take that place. You know, in our lives, we want to have all kinds of good things that come, right? We think about our marriages and we want fulfillment. We want there to be life, to be joy, to be care and concern and encouragement and uplifting and, and all those things that we that we wrap up. And we seek after those things. But in Matthew chapter 6.33 says, uh, uh, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else. And what we do in life, we, we, we get it all backwards, and we put everything first and foremost into our spouse, and we see later if there's time for God, if there's room for, for any faith in our life and in our marriage, when he must be, become first and be in the first place. See, what happens when we make our spouse the number one, we idolize them. Now, if you've been married for a while, that that's been shattered long, right, <laughs> right? But, but when you think about starting a relationship or before a relationship, if I can find that one or maybe you're dating and, and, and you can take the scenario either way with with male female, but let's just say it this way the the The, the female's going, you know uh, my, my boyfriend he's the one he's perfect he's, he's strong he's, he's silent, he's mysterious, you know. I just sometimes I look into his eyes. I don't really know what he's thinking, and it just gives me chills. And, and he's just so laid back. It's great. He just knows how to relax, and and it's just oh, I just love him. He's, he's the one, right? My number one. He completes me, right? I mean, it's just this sense. And what happens after marriage? If those of you who maybe know that scenario, he just sits there like a bump on the log. He never says anything. I don't know what's going on behind those eyes. I can't figure out your thoughts. Would you just do something? Yeah, he just chills out all the time. You think video games are going to get us where we need to go or whatever the case may be, right? And so what was so beautiful before when it was number one can become demonized later on because one can't fulfill everything. Well, let's take it the other way around. Oh, she's so perfect. She's the one. She's so organized. She's got her act together. She's so driven and motivated, man. She's got everything planned out when we when we have activities and, and she's just on top of it. And, and boy, it's just so so great to see that life and energy. After marriage, get off my back. Stop trying to run my life. Let's ease up on the schedule a little bit. Just wind down a little bit. Or what do you keep doing pursuing your career? What about our family? What about our life? What about me? And we have to navigate these differences and these tensions from before marriage and and, and after we get married. But see, the thing is not to put all of our hope and all of our, our everything into one person when that position is to be reserved only for God and to put God first. So if you're not married, how does this apply? Well, what you say is, I will seek the one while preparing for the two. If you're not married, is that you say, I will seek the one while preparing for the two. And that becomes your ambition, because see, the thing about marriage that I think is misunderstood in our culture and society is this idea of completion, like we're two halves, and now we come together and we are made whole. That is nowhere a biblical model or example. God takes two whole people, and creates a new entity called the marriage relationship. Two half people or partial people or incomplete people shouldn't get married. You're not ready to get married if you're not whole, if you're not find fulfillment in, in, within yourself and in your relationship with God. He is the one to bring you to that point and to bring you to that place. And when you have found that place, when God is at the center and is the priority, then you can come together with somebody else who shares that value. There's a pastor who's here to a story about uh, a young lady in his church. She grew up in his church in a Christian home and was part of the youth group and whatnot. But as she got older, kind of a, a story that you maybe have heard or scripted or maybe have lived, but she started kind of, ex- you know, exploring her horizons and going, in, you know, to different parties and, and started breaking away from some of her tradition. Started drinking a little more, getting more into to light alcohol and then heavier alcohol and then just... Um, really began to, to experiment, and as she was with, you know, one boyfriend and then another one, it just began to be very promiscuous in her relationships and was just totally losing, losing her direction and just feeling empty and whatnot. But she would still go to church with her parents. and And one morning she came home from church and she was excited and she told her mom, she said, Mom, I met the one. I met the guy. He's perfect. I've seen him, and he loves, he loves God. I can see his integrity. He seems to be a leader. He seems to be just, just on, on, on task with what he's doing. He's got his, his life together. And her mom, kind of a harsh response, says back to her, a guy like that isn't looking for a girl like you." Maybe not the best thing as a mom to say to your daughter. But there, there's, some, there's some truth in that, isn't there? What we need to learn is to be the kind of person that you want to marry. Be that kind of person. Now, it's not beyond hope if that's been your story. It's not beyond hope because you can say, from this day forward, I am seeking God. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to become the kind of person that that I want to marry. And when two people take that kind of foundation uh, together and bring that together, the foundation for marriage is, is incredibly strong. Now, if you are married, how do you seek the one? You say this, I will always seek the one with my two. I will always seek the one with my two. So many times in, in, in marriages, this faith thing becomes an individual piece. Oh, it's just about, you know, like each of us kind of loves God in our own way, and we do, you know, we kind of do our own thing. We don't talk. I, I've heard a couple things, we don't talk much about our faith. It's kind of his thing, and it's kind of my thing. Seeking God with your spouse. Now, when I do premarital counseling, something that I sometimes draw on people's um, thing, and, and I don't remember who I, I got this from. Just a simple illustration. It may even come from Craig. I don't even know. Um, but it's a little triangle. Does that sound familiar? Did that come from you? See, I didn't even remember. But sure, accept it. <laughs> Own it. Own it. Yeah, that's from me. <laughs> He's waiting to see if it's good or not. He's like, I don't know yet. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> this is a triangle. And at the top you write God. And at the two bottom corners you put the husband and you put the wife. Or you put the man and the woman that are, that are, that are preparing for marriage. And, and basically it's simple as this. It's saying as each of you individually and together, pursues God, what happens to the proximity and the distance between the husband and wife? You come closer. And just a simple visual that says, look, when we pursue God with all we are, when we seek God together as a couple, it will bring us together. It will bring closeness. It will bring intimacy. It will create a kind of foundation for us to really build our marriage and our family on. And so it's about this idea of how do we seek God together? Now there are We could talk about all kinds of ways that we can seek God. And I want to just hone in on one in particular and then the second one. One that we do in our homes and another one outside um, collectively even as a a family if we're at that point. Because there are some habits that really begin and shape everything else. I think there's one key that's going to have a greater impact than anything else on your marriage in in seeking God. And it's this, quite simply, pray together. Pray together together. Now, some of you might go, oh, that's it? That's why I came? That's why I came to the marriage series? They're here to pray together? Oh, we, I, no, we don't do that. That's awkward. That is weird. I don't pray with my. I don't even pray, or I don't, you know, that's a personal thing. We, we, we've never prayed together. You know how I know that most of you, or many of you, maybe don't even pray together? You know what statistics say is that only 8% of couples pray together. And so before you check out and kind of go, what is, how is that going to transform my marriage? Only 8% of couples pray together. But get this, from a statistic that that was uh, done, a survey uh, done by uh, Family Life, and they surveyed uh, thousands of Christian couples, fewer than 8% of Christian couples (laughs) pray regularly together. But here, get this, of those that do, fewer than 1% divorce. Fewer than 1% of couples who pray together divorce. How is that? a statistic that's quite contrasting the 50% statistic we just talked about earlier, right? I mean, to, if statistics bear out that you have a 99% chance or better to stay married and to be in a relationship if you do one thing, and that is to pray together, why? Why is this so significant, and why do so few people practice it? One, it can be this awkward thing. I know some of you have grown up in, in homes where prayer was not a part of that, or maybe it's not, you, you, know, you know, people are uncomfortable praying out loud. There's all kinds of reasons. Maybe you're just not there or maybe one, of your, you know, one in the relationship doesn't have a faith foundation and you've never done that in your marriage before and so it would seem kind of odd. But when you pray together, the reason that this is so central is it reminds you of who the one is. Right? If you're having disagreements, if you're having struggles to try to figure out your future or a next step and you say, let's pray about it, let's seek someone else versus my opinion, your opinion, my idea, your opinion, we're going to hash this out, we're going to seek God together. And we're going to humble ourselves. There's something about prayer that is a humbling act. Listen to this this well-known scripture out of Second Chronicles, uh, chapter seven, verse fourteen. And doesn't it's not spoken here to marriage, but I'm going to apply it to marriage here. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sins and heal their land. If My people, if those who are followers of Christ, if those couples would humble themselves and seek God's face and pray, God would bring healing, he would bring forgiveness, and he would heal your marriage. That's a promise from God that he wants to take prayer, and that prayer is serious because it's the way that we seek God. And there's this humbling act of getting on our knees, bowing before another, and submitting our relationship, saying, God, guide us. We need guidance, we need strength, we need encouragement, we need peace, we need a job, we need finances, we need health, we need help. We're praying for our children. It brings intimacy into your marriage relationship. It's kind of hard, right, to have a fight with somebody who you're going to be praying with, right? When you're holding hands with somebody and praying with them, it's kind of hard to punch them, right? Or to kick them. It's hard to cheat on somebody who you you pray with regularly. Who you're, who you're seeking God with together. There's a bonding that happens, and so few couples take this um, challenge seriously. Now, how do we do that practically? What does that look like for you? Maybe if you've never prayed before together, it's going to feel a little awkward at first. It may. And because it, it takes your relationship out of just emotional, out of just physical, out of just activity, and it brings it into a spiritual realm where you're saying, we're, we're, we're praying together. And maybe for the first time that you do that, you don't have much to say. Maybe you just say a sentence. Maybe you just say a blessing over your spouse. spouse. God, bless my wife. That's all I can do. I tap out. I'm done. You know, good start. It's a great start to pray for your wife, to say, to bless her or, or, or wives, to pray for your husband. God, be with my husband today. Watch over him, guide him, give him strength, whatever. And you start Praying that way, maybe you just stand together and you hold hands, or maybe you don't hold hands. And you just say, well, "You know, it, it shouldn't be awkward. You're married, right? I mean, you should. You get naked together, or you used to." Um, <laughs> why can't you pray together? And so, some of you, you some of you men, you need to man up and say, "I'm not going to be a little wussy about. It. I don't pray together. Don't. You watch football, you cheer together, you hug guys, you give high fives. Pray with your spouse." And even if you don't know what to do, do that. Take that step and just start. And now some different ways, maybe maybe you just start at mealtime. Well, what does a mealtime prayer have to do with my marriage? Well, maybe begin at a mealtime at dinner. Get your family together. Take the lead. What we do in our house, we hold hands around the table. There's enough of us that we can go all the way around the table with all six of us. And and we take turns praying or I'll pray or Shannon. And it's not just, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. You know, it's, it's you know, we, we try to say some things about the day or thank God for, you know, bringing us all back together and praying for each other. We do that as a family. Now, another thing that, you know, this, this came up for us probably about a year, year and a half ago, and I was talking with Shannon, like, how, how can we pray more together? I, I grew up and what, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't enjoy this time as a kid growing up, but every Saturday morning, my uh, my parents would say, all right, it's time for our family devotions. And they'd be like, oh, I want to watch cartoons. You know, I want to be outside. And we'd gather around this round dining room table that, that we had and only used kind of for special occasions and Saturday morning prayer and devotions. And so somebody would read a short Bible verse, and then we'd all get down on our chairs, we'd kneel, and we'd pray together and we'd take turns. But and and it, it was a forming experience as a kid. And even though as a kid I'd rather have been doing other things, I remember now and I think back about that bonding time and I, I step back almost out of body and go, a family kneeling and praying together. What a beautiful picture. What a powerful image of leaving a legacy of faith and and, pour, and pouring that into kids when your parents are praying for you by name. I know my parents pray for me every single day by name. When they come and visit, they do their devotions together, and they pray for every single kid, every single grandkid, every specific need. They've been praying together for years. And, and so Shannon and I have tried different things over the years. And, and one thing we decided to do in the mornings was before we leave the house as a family, uh, what, what would kind of work for us? And so we just gather at the front door or, or by the car before we leave, and we just all kind of huddle together. We do like a family huddle, right? And so I, I'm usually not in the middle because that would be kind of awkward. So I'm usually let the kids come around, and Shannon's there, and we just kind of do a group group kind of hug, and one of us will pray. And we'll just pray for each other specifically for that day, and just to say, God, watch over our kids and, and help them be strong, help them be bold, be courageous, be kind, uh, God, you know, help Shannon today as she's with eye, with or she has X, Y, and Z going, or Shannon will pray for me as she knows I have things going on. So it's praying together, finding those times. Um, we, Shannon and I have gotten out of this habit, and I think we need to start this again, but we would pray together before going to bed every night. We'd already be laying in bed and, uh, you know, watching the re- the end of the, you know, whatever talk show was on there, and 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 one of us would grab the other's hand and we'd say, um, all right, we take turns, your turn to pray, your turn to pray, and, and we would just close our eyes and we just, just pray. Just pray for the things as we remember people from church, as we remember some family members and stuff that affects our family. We pray together. When we face a big decision, we pray together. A, a couple of weeks ago, we'd never done this before, but uh, we both just read a book called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. I mentioned it back in our series on Joshua. And, and he talks about doing a Daniel fast. And basically it's a fast where you, you only eat fruit, vegetables, and nuts. That's all, that's all you eat on water. It's horrible. I mean, but it's good. I mean, it's good. Um, <laughs> you're just like I'm so hungry all the time. But it, but it was good. It was cleansing. And typically you do that for like 20 days. we were kind of wimps, and the only way I could get Shannon to do it—I'll throw her under the bus—was if I conceded. You know, I, I got her. We, we negotiated down to seven-day fast. You know, instead of normally that one's done for about 20 some days. And and so, but anyway, we we did that together, and we brought some things before God that we were praying about, and and it was really. It really does bring you together as a couple to say we're, we're committing something together. We're engaging this time of prayer together. We're praying for the same kinds of things, and it brings intimacy, and it brings closeness, and it puts God at the center. Pray with your kids, you know, before bed. Name them by name. Pray for them. Bless them. Pray, And then not just only praying together, but pray for each other. During the day, send a text to your spouse if you know they're going through something. and Say, hey, I'm praying for you. Sometimes I have a meeting, or I know it's going to either be a difficult meeting or a tense meeting, or I'm talking. About a different little situation with somebody, Shannon will be, you know, saying, "Hey, that meeting's from x, you know, from three to four. Be praying for me during that meeting," and I know my wife is praying for me during that time. And and sometimes I take that stuff for granted. But you know, when I heard this statistic, I thought, "Wow, that is powerful." And it's not, you know, it, it doesn't have to be some kind of legalistic, formulaic thing. But make it a part of the pattern of your life. But we've never done that. From this day forward, if this is going to be the kind of Um, discipline and habit that can really change your life and your marriage, why not begin there? Well, my spouse won't pray with me. Well, you can't force somebody to pray, right? Then pray for your spouse. And you probably do if you're a praying uh, woman or a praying husband. And just pray for that openness and watch God has done breakthrough after breakthrough with marriage after marriage in in this regard. And so praying together is a very powerful, powerful thing. Now, the, the, the other thing. I want to say I said one was kind of more private, in-house. The other one is more outwardly. How do we seek God together? Engage in church. Engage in church. Not just attend church, not just go to church, not just show up reluctantly or whatever, but if a couple engages in church. Now, what does what engaging in church look like? Make it a priority every week to say, as a family or as a couple, we're going to church. Because one way to prioritize and put God first is to say, We don't ask ourselves every Saturday night or Sunday morning, should we go to church today? That question is never even present in our family. We go to church. It is a priority. It puts God first the first day of the week, the first place to worship. When we come to worship, it's a humbling act that says, God, you're first in our life. We need you. We need to be humble through the worship. We need to come under your word and under your teaching to hear what you have to say for us. And we need to bring, if you're married and have kids, you bring your kids to that setting and you say, we need to come together with other people who also want to have the foundations and value the things that we value in our life, and we want to build that foundation. And then you go home and you talk about the message. Why not at the car or at lunch or sometime later kind of go, you know, there's that one thing this morning. What about that? You know what that one thing for you is today? Do we pray together? Should we pray together? How often do we pray together? That ought to be a question that every one of you as a, as a couple asks and maybe kind of go, well, why wouldn't we? Or how should we do it? What would be comfortable for us? What would work for us in a way that, that we could learn and grow in that? But see, that's the engaging of what God is doing, getting involved in a small group. There's going to be couples um, and groups all, all throughout the week here at one that are meeting in homes. We're going to be talking about this very thing. How do we seek God together as couples? And we're going to give each other advice and ideas, and we're going to seek God's word being involved in a small group, and all the different things that we do strengthens that bond because now it's not just you and your spouse. There's a community around you, and you're seeking God together. And so I just want to start this this series off with this very simple challenge, but maybe a big challenge for some of you is pray together. Every day for the next seven days would you pray together in some way, shape, or form that you and your spouse would do that, and that you make that commitment to say from this day forward, we may have never done this before, But from this day forward, we are praying together and for each other. You do that for seven days. If you're not married, pray for your relationship with God. Pray maybe for a person if you want to get married, for a person that you may marry someday. Begin to seek God. Put him in the right place. Put him in the first place. And prioritize this body that is the church to say, we need to do this together as a community to strengthen one another. Let's bow our heads and pray.